0: Hi, this is Lucinda. I'm a healthcare accreditation coordinator and an RN. I have no affiliation with the Joint Commission at all. I'm just a nurse trying to get everybody educated and ready for survey. Today I want to talk about a really serious subject. So we're going to talk about discrimination and disparities. I want to start today with some verbiage from the Joint Commission on leadership. Leaders must clearly articulate a hospital's commitment to meet the unique needs of its patients and establish an organizational culture that values effective communication, cultural competence, and patient and family-centered care. The role of leadership in shaping an organization's culture is critical. Leaders craft the mission and vision for an organization and reinforce it through their behaviors. Leaders at every level of the organization set the tone for a culture that is inclusive and welcoming, a culture that demonstrates equitable treatment of patients and staff. Now, disparity may be a word you've heard more since the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's talk about the definition of disparity. I mean, the basic definition is disparity is a noticeable and usually significant difference or dissimilarity. When I personally hear the word disparities, I can't help think about the Tuskegee experiment that started in 1932 and ended in 1972. I know this is more associated with, like, unethical research, and that's usually why you learn about it if you go to nursing school, but... um I have to mention it, so let's talk about it. This was the study that followed the lives of 600 black men and observed the course of untreated syphilis. Researchers told the men that they had bad blood and deliberately withheld treatment and discouraged test subjects to seek medical advice elsewhere. This study was correlated with increases in um, medical mistrust and mortality among African-American men especially public health programs, and of course they developed a fear of vaccinations because of this. I mean, this was mainly because this was a CDC-conducted study with federal funds. When the study was finally shut down in 1972, that wasn't that long ago, y'all, due to public outrage, 28% uh, participants had perished from syphilis, 100 or more had passed away from related complications, 100 or more had passed away from related complications, at least 40 spouses had been diagnosed with um, syphilis, and they had passed it to 19 children at birth. So, I mean, there's an obvious correlation between this monstrosity in our history and minorities getting vaccinated, or at least that's definitely one of the reasons. That's what I think. That's my opinion. I know it's very controversial, so uh, I will move along now. Health disparities usually refers to the difference in disease prevalence or disease outcomes in two or more groups. There are several different complex definitions for health disparities. For all intensive purposes, we'll go by the definition according to the Healthy People 2020. They're a great resource um, for all sorts of information. And they state a health disparity is a particular type of health difference um, that. Closely linked, with, uh, it's closely linked with economic, social, or um, environmental disadvantage, disadvantage. Health disparities adversely affect groups of people who have experienced greater social economic obstacles to health based, um, based on their racial or ethnic group. Religion, socioeconomic status, gender, age, or mental health, cognitive, sensory, or physical disability, sexual orientation or gender identity or location or other uh, characteristics historically linked to discrimination or exclusion. The terms health um, inequalities or health inequities, they can be used interchangeable with um, the term health disparity. So you may be asking out loud right now, what does this have to do with the Joint Commission? Well in November in the November edition of the Joint Commission Perspectives an article talked about the educational campaign just launched that encourages patients to speak up which they've been running a speak up campaign for many different subjects but this one was the speak up against discrimination. The article started off very similar to the definition I just gave about the different barriers and impediments to care And there was also a video that demonstrated some different examples of ways patients might be discriminated against. Uh, The Joint Commission did not go into any type of depth on the subject, but some of what was shown was what I might consider um, microaggressions, if you're familiar with that term. So a microaggression is a term used for commonplace daily verbal, behavioral, or environmental slights, um, they can be intentional or unintentional, um, and they can communicate hostile, derogatory, or negative attitudes toward um, towards stigmatized or cultural, culturally marg- marginalized. Um, sorry, I keep stuttering today, y'all. Groups. Personally, I feel like this is a really uncomfortable subject to talk about. Um, I've tried to record this podcast a few times over the over the months because I wanted to do one on this since um, disparities is such a big sub- subject with COVID-19. Um, so we're all adults. I'll just get this started. Let's start with some sayings that you may not think can be offensive that many people say. And these were lists. I had a resource that listed these. So this is not something I'm just making up off the top of my head. Um, all right. So you shouldn't. Calling someone an Indian giver, saying things like, that's so gay, or I dewed him down on that price, she welched on that bet, or imitating accents or dialects. Some of these things are things we don't even think about. And again, a microaggression, it's not necessarily um, intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. It's just sayings that we've, things that we've been saying for years and years. So here's some other examples like when Asian Americans and Latino Americans are assumed to be foreign born and start to get asked questions like, where were you born based on what they look like? Um, Or like, hey, you speak really good English. Um, This sends a message that they're not American and they are a foreigner instead of being an American. Also saying things like, when I see you, I don't see color, being colorblind. This signals that the person saying this does not acknowledge your blackness or your culture um, or they won't hold it against you. It's not necessarily, uh, it, it's just not right. It's just something you shouldn't say. So moving along, we are all one race, the human race. Again, this can signal that their, uh, their experience, whoever you're speaking to, Or experience as a black person is no different from experience of people of other races. Okay, so these seem like small things, and I'm not going to list anymore. If you would like a a full um, formal list, I will send you the resource if you email me. Um, I just don't feel comfortable reading them out loud. I just think they're very, some of them are very rude. Okay, so they seem small, but over time, this can have a negative impact on an employee. Or patient's experience. Um, It can affect physical or psychological well-being as well. Now research suggests that these are subtle forms of um, interpersonal discrimination. Uh, Little microaggressions, they're the least harmful expression of discrimination. That does not mean they're right and we should continue to do it. So what can we do to avoid microaggressions? I want you to start My suggestion to you is start by educating yourself. Um, It can be very uncomfortable, but we need to increase awareness and start to have these conversations. Also know how and when to confront an individual for doing this um, in an appropriate manner. So uh, there are many webinars and workshops available. Our city just had one a few months ago. There's usually lawyers involved in the meeting, um, and they kind of safely structure it so that everybody can have very open and candid conversations about different things they are feeling and their experiences with their culture um, and how everyone views each other. Uh, It helps with education, it makes you more aware, and it makes you speak more appropriately. The Speak Up campaign against discrimination um, lists patients' rights such as, and these are basic rights, timely and appropriate care that is free from discrimination, treatment with courtesy and respect, and of course, an interpreter who can effectively communicate with care providers. In addition, this effort includes several recommendations for patients to take if they experience discrimination. So they want the patient to do this. They want the patient to find out about healthcare organization's policy for reporting complaints, if possible, and try to work with the organization. They want them to, of course, talk with the organization's um, advocacy department. They want them, if it needs to go further, file a complaint with the Office for Civil Rights or the State Health Department. Or they can contact the U.S. Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, or report it to the Joint Commission. And again, the speak up part is kind of a generic uh, marketing campaign, educational campaign with the Joint Commission. So some of these don't necessarily have to do uh, 100% with discrimination. But speak up stands for, the S stands for speak up, P for pay attention, E educate yourself. A, advocate family and friends can help. K, know about your medications. U, use a quality health organization. P, participate in all decisions about your care. CMS states on their website under quality improvements and interventions that disparities in the quality of care of minority populations um, even when they have the same insurance, socioeconomic status, and comorbidities as their non-minority counterparts, um, these are all well-documented in, in their research. So evidence-based interventions that are an effective tool for reducing healthcare disparities and low, uh, lowering cost. So therefore, focused quality improvement efforts should be targeted to populations at risk for disparities. Now, which standards do you think protect patients patients from healthcare disparities? If you answered the entire chapter called patient rights and responsibilities of the individual, you would be correct. They help protect the patient against disparities. Standards in this chapter talk about treating the patient in a dignified and respectful manner, providing effective communication, and respecting the patient's cultural and personal values. One, uh was mentioned as very highly cited, so I'll mention it. RIO10201 is often cited in surveys. And this standard says the hospital respects the patient's rights to participate in decisions about his or her care, treatment, and services. When you perform a crosswalk to CMS, this is covered under um, 482.13 B4. So which gets a little bit more specific. CMS states the patient has the right to have a family member or representative of his or her choice and um, his or her own physician notified promptly of their admission to the hospital. So what does this mean and why is it an issue? Um, By informing patients of their responsibilities, it's going to empower them to become an active partner in their care. As an organization, you need to ask yourself the following questions to see if you're in compliance with this. So number one question that I had come up with is does your organization send auto uh, notifications to family and primary providers that uh, once a patient has been admitted, because this happens, um, some electronic health records automatically do this, if it's automatic, uh, you are not in compliance. If you uh, don't send anything automatically of this nature, then it's not something you need to worry about currently. It would be something we needed to worry about, you know, if you happen to switch electronic health records. It's something you need to look into. Number two, do you document who the patient uh, would want to notify? Would they want to notify a certain provider or family member? Um Of the patient's admissions you need to make sure that you're documenting whether they do or they don't and who the persons are this should be documented in their health records somewhere and these questions have to be asked no later than admission and you should have some sort of policy um, saying what to do if the patient is incapacitated and, and what to do to get these questions answered or documented my third question, of course, is who in your organization documents these questions, asks and documents? Is it your nursing staff or someone else? Uh, what, what do they do if they're a direct admit? What if they come through surgery and then after their outpatient surgery, they're suddenly an inpatient? Does it make a difference? This brings us to our next standard, which is effective communication, RI-010103. This says that the hospital respects the patient's rights to receive information in a manner he or she understands. This would include providing information tailored to the patient's age, language, and ability to understand. And we need to be aware of liter- uh, literacy barriers, particularly he- healthcare literacy. Not everybody understands all of our jargon, and we need to be able to break it down. Uh, Make sure to evaluate other communication barriers such as impaired vision, speech, and or hearing or cognitive impairments. Uh, Nothing burns me up more personally when my mother goes to a doctor's appointment and they hand her teeny tiny print because she's blind. And uh, she will try to fake it till she makes it, but she can't read any of that stuff. So if I'm not there to help her, I mean, what's she supposed to do? Because staff don't usually have time to fool with that. And they do not offer larger print, so it's something to think about. Or you have a patient that's really hard of hearing and you're just screaming at them. You know, you have a mask on so they can't read your lips. Or, you know, there's just different things you have to think about like that. You know, it's very, it's hard when you're a family member and you're seeing your your parents struggling with things like this. So... Just kind of put yourself in their shoes. Now, as far as interpreters go, the best practice is to only have certified people interpret. This is going to protect your organization legally if there is an issue. That being said, there is no regulation on providers that are bilingual to communicate with these patients if they speak the same language. But my advice to you is to check your organizational policy on the subject. At my organization, we must have someone certified. Um... And just FYI, a good resource if you are interested in becoming certified is the National Council on Interpreting in Healthcare, or NCIHC. And again, email me for any of these resources. Um, My personal organization does not pay for this testing or offer incentives for becoming certified, so make sure to check with your employer to see if they have a program to help you with the cost of this if you're interested. Let's briefly talk about the LGBTQ plus community. Um, it's just like any other populations identified as at risk or disadvantaged. Research has demonstrated that the LGBT plus community um, experienced disparities, not only in the prevalence of certain physical and mental health concerns, but also due to a variety of factors, including experiences of stigma, lack of awareness, and insensitivity to their unique needs. Uh, The Joint Commission, a few years ago, they published a field guide called Advancing Effective Communication, Cultural Competence, and Patient and Family-Centered Care for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Communities. Um, This project was funded by the California Endowment. It was created to bridge the gap with this population, um, the field guide has very many uh, recommendations and resources. The guide was created with the intention that organizations could use it to inform or revise poli- uh, policies, procedures, and practices. Again, it identifies gaps or areas needing improvement for um, quality efforts. It, uh, it's made to help develop staff and patient survey questions. It was made to evaluate compliance with relevant uh, Law at the time and to identify risk or patient safety issues. It can also be used as an educational resource and posted on the intranet on your, in your organization's website for easy reference and accessibility for staff. It can be assigned for uh, reading for key staff and it can be used during huddles to spread awareness. And obviously, I can't cover everything about disparities in one podcast, but I hope this will make you more um, aware and want to do your own research, maybe advocate for yourself and other staff members and patients in the future. And as I said before, as a medical professional, we need to ensure quality care to all patients, regardless of social or personal characteristics. Our patients should feel very comfortable providing any information related to their care, regardless um, of what they have going on. So our goal and way to be compliant uh, with the Joint Commission and CMS standards is to better understand the needs of the individual patients and populations at risk in our communities. So the current standards, and this is what I'll end it on, current standards require patient-centered care. They expect you to identify high-risk patient groups and how do you do this? Where is it documented? Can you prove that you did this? Um, assess for patient need of the community-based providers. You should have providers um, that, can, that can work with different kinds of folks. And if we don't have those certain kind of providers, then we can refer them elsewhere um, to somewhere that can take care of them better. uh, The patient needs to be treated with dignity and respect to meet patient-specific needs. Again, if the patient is not assessed for their needs, how can they um, be met? And the care uh, needs to be gender-specific. So a thorough uh, assessment of the patient is required to address these needs. Are organizations doing that? And that is my question to you ending this podcast. Um, I hope I did a halfway decent job on this. It's an uncomfortable subject. And again, I have so many resources on this subject if you are interested. There are so many webinars and meetings and um, open, candid talks about these issues. And it's very important you educate yourself. So have a wonderful day, and I hope you learned a lot.